And welcome to the Smoke Break. We are here every Sunday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Shady Pines Radio. I'm your host, your old pal Zane, here with Taylor Barrett. What up, everybody? And Noah Dino Dad Rubin. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Noah is a therapist, a comedian, and a producer uh, over here in the Northwest, uh, based out of Seattle, correct? Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for your work uh, and all that you do. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So this week, we wanted to talk about decompression. Um, I'm sure that uh, you know a little bit about that. Uh, Tell me a little bit, what is your definition of decompression? Well, there's, uh, I think it's always kind of, there's like kind of the, the 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 personal way of looking at it, and then there's there's kind of how I look at it in terms of my work when I work with like children and families pre- predominantly. Um, I think what it is is we are so in this position to kind of feel so as if we have to be busy and focused on so many different things, and there's always different stressors coming our way, and. Uh, you know, sometimes we look at it as a hobby, but I think uh, it, it's really trying to figure out the space to have an opportunity to reflect. And, oh. and when you when you realize that you need to reflect, you realize, oh, this is decompressing. And we yeah. fight that feeling because we feel we have to go, go, go. A lot of people do. Yeah. Um, and, and it's hard to strike that balance. And, Definitely. Yeah. And Definitely. there's even pressure to strike that balance. Sometimes you feel like people are telling you, hey, strike a work-life balance and you're like, yeah. I don't know how. Definitely, definitely. Well, I think like the importance of decompression for me is just, you know, like taking time away from the things that like I really enjoy doing. Like mm-hmm. even though something that I enjoy doing, maybe comedy, maybe music, like taking time away from that, even mm-hmm. work, I enjoy my work. Yeah. But, like taking time away from that to relax is super important for me. Uh, Taylor, what about you? What does is, what is decompression uh, look like for you? Uh, I guess uh, throughout my life, I've kind of defined decompression as like, an opportunity or just like a, a set time aside to like uh, not worry about things like uh, and that can be really hard to do when there's a lot of things that you have to worry about and uh, that in itself like the uh, the act of decompression I feel like can become its own chore where you might need to decompress from what you initially assumed was your decompression and especially if, if you're like, like you mentioned your hobbies can um you can set a really high standard for how you perform in your hobbies or like how, how skilled or capable you are at your hobbies. And that can become its own work. And mm-hmm. so yeah. the setting time aside from that to just like you said, reflect and just not have to worry about anything uh, is, is I think the, a, like a much better definition of decompression than just not working, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I think that, you know, the, the hardest part about decompression for me is just that like, because I feel the need to go, 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 because I feel like that is what is productive. Like it's hard to justify doing anything other mm-hmm. than that. Uh, what about for you? Like, would you say that you feel similarly? I feel as if these are things that are not taught to us. They're told to us. Mm. And you know, uh, I think not just about being a parent, but I also think that it, it that it's just if it's modeled for people how to decompress to some degree. And, and, and you know, I, I feel as if when you're decompressing, you get those times to to reflect and kind of really be with your feelings and thoughts because you're not, you know, it's we're in order to be, in my opinion, like a healthy individual, you have to be pretty grounded and aware a lot of the time and it's hard to do that because there's different things that kind of make you frustrated or want to snap sure and if you've kept it together and then all of a sudden you have a period of where there's downtime 
and you're able to kind of think about that moment where you were triggered or whatever. Yeah. Uh, allow yourself to have like feelings, you know, whether you're with somebody or not, you know, it's sometimes nice to have another person there to be like, you're not crazy. Yeah, definitely. You know? definitely. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of my like personal experience of it and kind of what I try to help people realize with what they're going through. Definitely. Definitely. Taylor, do you think it's important for like people to decompress together? I think that that can be very important. I, I think it's very uh, per the individual. Like, I'm not a therapist, so it's hard for me to give my uh, you know clinical two cents on that. But uh, I, I think that there are times where I have benefited from decompressing with somebody. Like you and I play video games together, plenty sure. of time. But uh, I think there's also like when it gets really intense, when you've kind of like you know pop the cork on your intensity, like it's that might be a good moment to like reflect on your own. It's, it's, it's hard for that to not spill onto other people. You know, there's, there's, there's times where, you know, even you and me have, have like bled onto each other just because we're, we're so escalated mm -hmm. and we're being so intense. And it's, it's hard to notice that you're even at that point because it feels almost like you're being attacked by the world, at least, at least in my case. But yeah, like, but yeah, like it, it, there, there's benefits to both for sure. Right. I, I, I totally see that. And, you know, it's glad you kind of said about the, when, when things have bled onto each other, you know, the test of like a good, healthy friendship too, or professional friendship or whatever it is, uh, when those things happen and then you get space and then you come back and you kind of think about your, your role in yeah. what was going on and everybody can take like ownership of that part. And you're like, cool, we're still good healthy people and that feeling is valid we're both not crazy together yeah exactly exactly well and i think that you know like taking that time to decompress so that you can come back to the other person and be like okay like i was coming from an escalated state you know mm -hmm. like i was i was frustrated and i didn't know how to explain that frustration mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. like being able to take that time by yourself for me like uh a lot of decompressing comes from like just talking things out with people you know because i feel like it's a lot of times like I have a problem and it only remains to be as prevalent of a problem as like my mind keeps convincing itself that mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. So it's like for me, a lot of times it's like coming to my friends and coming to, you know, guests on the smoke break and just be like, hey, I have this thing that's really like is just, you know, in the forefront of my mind. Help me try to navigate this. And I've I've noticed that like people whether they know how to do it exactly or whether they, they learn how to do it, you know, like people can really help you and community can really help you just mm -hmm. navigate some of that stuff. Totally. I, I think that, um, I've, uh, I've noticed that you and I have a good like lexicon. We have, we, we have a pretty good word bank. And so our, our ability to communicate with each other when we're escalated, like when we're escalated, when we're escalated like that has, has been usually mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. And I think like, like you mentioned, we're, we're not taught how to do these things. We're just told to do these things. Mm -hmm. A lot of people lack the, uh, just the words and the, like the communication experience to like know how to describe what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that has made people more frustrated in those in those moments where like people might not know the term escalated people might not know the term decompression even and that describing how to you know calm down from that has has been that like a completely unique frustration for them to navigate that they don't have the words to do yeah it is um it's it's one of those things that even in the work i do with families is is trying to assist uh a lot of kids and parents getting better i don't like saying the word better getting uh more proficient in uh um articulating their feelings instead of going to the extreme um and i think a lot of people do that because they can't articulate it but they know that this feeling is really big and it's scary right. and i 
try to say, we have to figure out a way to articulate that feeling because I understand that things have gotten really, really bad, but we need to like say, is this what we're feeling or is this what we're really feeling? Yeah. I try to get the kids to, to, that I work with to, to say that. And then I try to get them to actually communicate that to their, to their uh, families. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and when it happens, it's really, really nice. Uh, um, because then, you know, sometimes there's so much shame even attached to, um, like even admitting it wasn't that thing that they said, you know, yeah. like, you know, their, their darkest thought. And then they, you know, then they say, okay, this is what I was really feeling. I felt misunderstood. I wasn't feeling like anybody was listening to me. Right. And I started to feel really mad and I'm ashamed of my reaction to you. And, and then the parents in that healthy dynamic say, thank you. Like you don't have to feel embarrassed about any of this. And then yeah. there's like connection again. Cause I think like if we, we, we all need to, we all want connection. Mm -hmm. Um, but we, we also know, have to know when, you know, boundaries and space are needed too. And Definitely. like, like, you know, recognize that to kind of maintain a healthy, just a healthy individual presence and, um, um, a collaborate collaboration. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so how has like comedy helped you with decompression? Wow. Uh, it, I think what comedy has done for me is it created a vehicle for what um, I was really interested in. Um, okay. You know, um, I started doing working with children and families in the behavioral capacity in Seattle in 2008. And, um, you know, I was just kind of thrown in as like a like a residential counselor, to a group home for for boys. And I saw a lot of kids I had to do back in the day. They would like show you how to like de-escalate and escort them which was so uncomfortable right and uh then i can kind of continue my journey and became a case manager and i started developing all these organizational skills and figuring out where resources were and things like that um and um got my master's in counseling came licensed and just continued doing the work and then in 2020 when i started doing comedy and then took over this open mic uh, and people kept coming in and I was just trying to stay organized. I started kind of listening to people differently, listening to comedy very differently, sure. understanding that people are taking some aspect of who they are up there, um, looking at jokes differently. And then I realized that what I, what some of my strengths that I gained in, uh, what I've been doing was, was case management. I said, there's a lot of overlap here in organizational stuff and production yeah, and, and trying to bring people together and trying to kind of nurture a, a, a positive healthy atmosphere and kind of make that what i'm about and i really try to do that i really try to like see see meet people and see what they, they what their goals are because i feel as if 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 i create an opportunity for somebody and they get to fulfill being on stage or or just kind of getting to that next level i just like to see it happen and kind of yeah be there uh in some shape or form yeah yeah definitely definitely how, how uh how's comedy helped you with decompression oh yeah definitely um i think it's helped me process a lot of stuff that was like just difficult for me to like try to like understand about myself you know i think like being able to put 
like because people usually say you know tragedy or comedy is tragedy plus time you know and it's just like once you've had enough time from that tragedy it's like how do you process it it's a very shakespearean concept yeah <laughs> yeah definitely definitely but it's like i would i would definitely say that like you know once i've had enough time to like process something mm -hmm. then it's really helped me you know process it by saying it out loud you know and like sometimes some of those what i feel like feel like really insane thoughts you know seem a lot less insane when i say them out loud and right. you know there's kind of like that reaction of like oh okay like you're right that is kind of goofy mm -hmm. um so for me it's it's been like a validating thing but at the same time i can say that it's also been like a stressful thing because it's like if i'm in a bad mood and i think that comedy is going to help and it doesn't then i'm in a worse mood you know yeah. now i'm not only in a bad mood but i failed at the thing that i want to do yeah so, I, I can relate to that yeah yeah how so I I I always played a lot of uh, like competitive games. I was I was really into the 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 fighting game community for a long time. And like if you go to a, a tournament to you know decompress, then you get your ass beat. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a little less uh, cathartic than it would be if if you if you uh, performed the way that that you wanted to. Yeah. Even outside of fighting games, just you know, playing playing ranked in any game is is a, is is a is a slog sometimes, and it's it, it can be pretty brutal. There's there's always. You're, you're you're gonna lose a lot so if that's your go-to for decompression you might want to find a second thing <laughs> yeah definitely well i think that yeah just even saying that like the things that are like competitive that like you know can help you decompress you know even sports and stuff mm -hmm. like that I yeah I, like, I was super into sports as a kid I, i've played soccer yeah. for 14 years yeah exactly it's like but that thing yeah. is like it's only decompressing if you're winning you know <laughs> and like you got to really find the joy in the ride you got to really like playing soccer so much or playing fighting games or playing whatever so much that it's it's that losing doesn't remove the decompression or the or the catharsis right. from you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, the um, that just remind me of just I was just thinking about you know, we we often try to avoid or or we often go to the most negative thing about ourselves when we have a slight in a conversation or we're misreading somebody. We go to that place and we blame ourselves. And I and you know I think what I am learning is kind of what I do for work and even in comedy is is try to like use those negative experiences as a teacher and uh and it's an and we've said it's an opportunity because one the funny comes from understanding the pain and the vulnerability yeah. uh and two it, it's it's just it kind of allows you to kind of take a step back and kind of look at the situation objectively yeah. instead of getting wrapped up in the emotion yeah and uh you know uh, whether it's whether it's just like a bad night uh at a comedy show or just a bad interaction with somebody it's it's just uh an opportunity again like put to, some distance between you and, and and the the experience because you live it so much from your perspective that yeah. you forget that there's other perspectives yeah. a part of it that you can kind of like oh, right. okay right and you know back to the friend i've started i mean i have some nice close people around me and i just ask them like how do you observe me like you know in interactions that's a good question yeah you know, how how do, like what what are the things that 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 could potentially appear like that annoying about me or whatever because then i can hear it from like close friends yeah and and then it's an opportunity for me to like think about it and pay attention to it Definitely. it won't help that friendship and then kind of see how i can play with that too out in the world and see like okay this is something i'm i'm growing and developing and yeah. uh and and when you have good people around you to kind of point those things out it it's good it's yeah, good it's good absolutely. for them to see what what the areas what, in which they could grow yeah Definitely, totally. definitely. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a real quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with the smoke break. We're here every Sunday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Shady Pines Radio, as well as Pretty Dope Experience Radio.
Welcome back to The Smoke Break. We are here every Sunday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Shady Pines Radio and Pretty Dope Experience. Our next topic that we're going to dive into is de... No, that was the last one. That was the last one. De-escalation. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I think we do after we decompress. Exactly, before, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Pick, pick your order. Uh, uh, de- de-escalation is kind of a new topic for me, honestly. I learned the you know just the idea of being escalated and de-escalating within the last, like those specific words at least. Yeah. Uh, the concept's always kind of been there, but those words help define it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you have any experience with... Uh, like de-escalating or it being new to you or like learning anything from the process of de-escalating? Yeah, definitely. Um, So like with my work as a peer, I've definitely had to uh, learn that like there are going to be situations where people are escalated and it is my job to try to Mm -hmm. bring them down from that, you know, like, and uh, I've had people in my life just be like super, you know, like really intense. And like, I've had to receive that without like being offended by it, you know? And I feel like that's almost like the, the hardest part with de-escalation is like not taking offense to somebody being activated. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, I, I, you know, the thing about it is, is like understanding it, 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 it it's a cycle too. Uh, and you know, and, and it, it's important for people to understand kind of, when they are entering that cycle, paying attention to their own warning signs and for other people sometimes to be aware of that. But I think that there's, there's part of it um, when in this cycle, cause it'll be like a crisis or kind of a pinnacle of where the emotions are going. Right. And then there's recognition like, Oh my goodness, I've overreacted or whatever. Yeah. And then there's the post crisis depression, which it's a, which is kind of where you are deescalating, but you're not, you're not kind of back to your baseline yet. And, uh, that period and people looks like sometimes they're calm and back right. to where they should be. But it's it, but that's the period where even when I'm working with parents, I have to tell them you have to just pay attention. Your kid might appear ready to kind of process and talk, but they might not be there yet. Yeah. They have to kind of go through this feeling of, of remorse for what they're going through. And then when they're ready, you check in and things are okay. But it, but yeah. Uh, it, well, I, th- I like what you said about like kind of that remorseful period of like, you know, once you, you hit a point where you're like super activated and you're like, you're, you're doing all these things that like are uncharacteristic of mm-hmm. you, that there is that, like that kind of depression slump of like, Oh, that was a lot. Like, you yeah. know, maybe it took somebody bringing it up, but also at the same time, like I understand that that was a lot and mm-hmm. trying to like, navigate that you you know handled something the way you would normally or want to handle it it's always it's always felt kind of like um like visually for me like a heartbeat monitor where you like you spike in this anger and then it just drops mm-hmm. and now you're in this like huge slump of depression you kind of have to get back to your baseline and and that's that that movement of emotions is is really really intense for an individual to deal with but having experienced those makes it uh easier for me to you know be understanding towards people that are that that are experiencing that because i'm like oh you're at this point aren't you you know yeah and and, you know without throwing it in their face you kind of just have to really accept them for the way that they are yeah yeah the adverse though is also paying attention when you're feeling good too i think i think people can can kind of escalate in 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 different ways um i mean i i i Sometimes even when I'm like in the moment of feeling amazing, I'm like, yeah. okay, let's just pay attention to where I'm at for a second yeah. just to kind of uh, like, I don't want these, even the good emotions to ne- necessarily dictate what I'm going to do next. Definitely. So it's definitely. Not, not, Especially when you have things like mania and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. So you have to just kind of keep paying attention to how you're, you don't have to, but because sometimes yeah, yeah. you just want to like live in that moment and then yeah. you ref- reflect later. But sometimes it's kind of nice to just say, okay, like check in, what, check in with myself, like what's yeah. going on around me. Yeah. 
Yeah, like I, I, I like that you mentioned mania because like I think you, you and I are both diagnosed with bipolar. I, I, I bipolar type two, and so the it's really difficult for me to not let the 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 highs of like being in a really good mood dictate a lot of my choices and actions and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Because it's like you want to you really want to ride that wave of like things are good now. Just keep going, just keep going. And uh, I, I like I really like how you mentioned just like you know taking a step back and and like really asking yourself what you want to be doing in that moment and or if it's being dictated by like the the really intense emotions that you're experiencing. I, I think a lot of people don't view the the good emotions as something that that's worth checking in on too because they're just trying to ride that wave of right. of, of being in a good, mood. good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um so like what are some important things for you to validate uh someone who's escalated? A lot of times just listening. Like really listening. And, um, and it's taking it, you know, um, you know, and you have to recognize that everybody is projecting an aspect of who they are onto you. Like, it doesn't matter. I could be complimenting you. It's like my own value system yeah. and negative. And if you kind of get in a habit of paying attention to, uh, to how that's communicated, one, you start setting those boundaries, um, and you, um, uh, you just kind of, what am I trying to say here is, is that you try to be more aware of your own experience, uh, when you're with somebody as well, you know? Yeah. Like, like you can frame their emotions a little bit more effectively because you, you like, you, you understand the process of that a little bit better. Yeah. You understand the process and it, and it's a way of like not taking things as personally either. Definitely. I, I, I think, and, uh, and you can recognize that, that, that this might be who they are at that moment as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I like, like, I like that you said that just kind of like putting that distance between like, you know, taking it personal. Cause I feel like a lot of times when somebody gets escalated, we're like, they're upset at me, yeah. you know? And it's like, it's yeah. not often that they're upset at us. They're upset at the situation and we're in the middle yeah. of that situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a lot of, you know, I, I mean, my mind's going to all these people that I've seen and worked with and, mm -hmm. um, and uh, just, just validating them that that like you're not crazy at all like like yeah. let's just go through the list of things that have happened yeah definitely you know? and well i think that's even a good point too is just kind of like going through the list of things that have happened if this happened and then this happened and then this happened of course you would feel this way yeah. why wouldn't you yeah yeah and and getting you know i think the hard part though is sometimes those people want someone else to acknowledge their own experience and some people don't want to take accountability for uh, you know, whether they yelled at somebody or treated somebody in some hostile way or something like right. that. And, and that is really hard on the person who's saying like, this is my personal truth. This is what happened. Why are you telling me that it didn't happen this yeah. way? And, uh, I say, well, you can only own your truth and how do you want to be in this world? Do you want to like continue to feel like you're in a place of defense or do you want to move forward and kind of learn, use this person as a teacher to kind of be the person that you idealized yourself to be. Yeah. You know? Um, so I, that's, again, I, I, I think of these negative experiences or these negative interactions is you're, you're just teaching me something like what, Definitely. what can I, what can I, what can I develop from this? Yeah. Yeah. Taylor, what about you? What's been some like uh, tactics that you feel like have been helpful in like deescalating? Um, just owning my role. If there was one in a situation, you know, like I, I definitely have, had a bad tendency in the past to like raise my voice and you know i that's especially if someone's if, if i feel like someone's attacking me that i feel like it, it's 
it's wise to kind of offer that accountability like, hey, yeah, I did get a little escalated there and, and I raised my voice. And I the moment that I noticed that there's any volume being added to, 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 my, to my voice at all, I, I've been a lot better in the last couple of years about just like dropping that and being like, hey, let's fix this uh, mm-hmm. and and just kind of owning my role in that situation and and offering accountability to the person, not even necessarily in the well, kind of in the hopes that uh, that I can get that reciprocated, but just to show them that like like we're we're not against each other right now yeah. we are we you know i i can offer this to you and whenever you're ready to kind of you know break this down a little bit and work through this frustration then i'll i'll, I'll be here waiting for you in the middle yeah and I, something that i like that you said was uh you know like we're in this together you know like i i feel like oftentimes when people are getting escalated or at least in my experience it's that like it's this me against you right. you know instead of it being a like us against the problem I'm smiling because I, I I often think back to the Big Lebowski movie with uh, John Goodman where he says calmer than you are. That goes through my head a lot when yeah. somebody I just it's like a mantra in my head. I'm like I'm just gonna be calmer than you are because that's all I can do right now. Yeah, you know yeah. I'm gonna be calm and, and like put up my mind barriers right here and see if I can try to understand what's going on here yeah well and i think that's like a really important part is like understanding genuinely where somebody's coming from with a problem because it's like it's not coming from out of nowhere you Mm -hmm. know like most times it's not coming from out of nowhere so if it's not coming from out of nowhere what are the parts of it that you can validate what are the parts of it that you can say hey i understand why you're feeling this way Mm -hmm. because i feel like oftentimes most people just want to feel like they're not in the wrong for feeling the way that they feel right so if you can offer them the uh, validation that what they're feeling is is proportionate to what they're experiencing, then, you know, you could really give them a, a, a chance to to feel seen and hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just like letting like like you said, just kind of accepting it, like uh, just letting the person go through the, the waves of emotions and not putting like a time frame on it for them. You know, like they, they kind of set their own time frame and they they kind of go through the process on their own on their own terms. Yeah, and and I mean, obviously you'll get better at it, but that's it's what's why it's so important, I think, for you know, and and not everybody, parents and other people don't have these tools because we learn what we learn from how we were raised and the culture around us. Um, and you know, I I I just wish there was more opportunity for kids and parents. I mean, I I mean, I really think kids should ha- they should just be part of a curriculum regularly for kids to have like understanding of counseling and or or understanding yeah, of being absolutely. therapy and then, well i then, mean yeah. they, we don't get given those like those base yeah. like how to interact with the world they're yeah. like here's basic math and basic yeah. english and basic science it's like what about basic fucking human yeah ba- basic communication skills basic communication skills yeah I mean, anything i mean if they taught this stuff the middle schoolers would be a lot happier oh yeah, yeah like, that's absolutely. like the time everybody's like oh the dreads the middle school years because that's the time where they're just really figuring out I am my own person. I can say what I want to say. Yeah. But they have more emotions and opinions than the words to to, to, uh, display them appropriately. Yeah. 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 And teaching them how to be accountable would also, you know, not, not, it would, it would, it would raise accountable adults. Yeah. Like if if you could, if you could show somebody that they can be honest about like a mistake that they made, then you could give them the opportunity to know that there's like growth behind Mm -hmm. that and potential for growth. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people will counter the things that, that hurt them a lot too. Like uh, if it, if somebody was raised in an, in an environment where there, there was a lot of yelling, for example, like um, they, they have a tendency I've noticed in my experience where if they're not doing that thing, then, then it's hard for them to accept that they might be like part of the issue or escalating it just because they're not yelling. Right. Right. You know, uh, it's, 
I I I I noticed this too with predominantly you know I, since I work with kids I say kids but predominantly kids that are um, feeling really depressed is that I tell them I said you appear sad but are you angry and I asked them that and I said you and they're worried that their anger is gonna um, uh, appear like the people that have like externalize that anger to them. And I said, no, you're not that person. What you are is somebody who is entitled to that feeling of anger. And you are learning how to talk about it in a way that you would want somebody to talk to you about your anger. All right. And you're right. Your mom, your dad, your cousin, your boyfriend, whatever, will not necessarily do that. But if you do that, then you are taking care of yourself in this situation yeah yeah definitely yeah. definitely well i i think you know just giving people the tools to like you know communicate how they're feeling can help them be de-escalated mm -hmm. you know like or even giving them the space um you know like and and sometimes i think it's important for other people to to be open to the idea that like where somebody's coming from with anger is not the thing that they're angry about you know yeah. like there was a moment where taylor and i were had gotten into like a confrontation and he was like the what you're talking about being angry about and what I think you're actually upset about are like two different things, mm -hmm. you know. So like let's let's try and figure out where this is actually coming from because mm -hmm. I see the way that it's displaying, but I don't think that's where it's mm -hmm. coming from. I think it helps that we like legitimately give a shit about each other too. So it's yeah. like it's it's we're not taking each other's frustration and escalation as like personal for very long, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's good. You have a basis of knowing you can come back together. Not everybody's able to do that, you know, oh, no. and, and it's hard because, uh, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I get to this place like, why do I want to hold on to this thing? You know, like, let's see if there's like room to, you know, I know what I like about this person. I know what they're good at. Can we like focus on those things that we at least have together? If we can't, you know, you figure out what kind of relationship it is too. Yeah. You know, definitely. and, and then that's the kind of the thing too of learning in the comedy world is like, okay, you know, you're open to it. There's all these people. Who who do I want to be friends with? Who do I want to be professional friends with? Who can yeah. kind of be a hybrid of both? You know, and 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 that's okay. You know, Definitely. it's 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 uh it, it's 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 a lot like anything else. But this is it's it's definitely that's what this has done for me is kind of looking a lot of reflection about who I am. Yeah, as a an employee at where I work and 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 uh, as kind of like whatever I'm doing in the comedy world now. Definitely, yeah. definitely. All right, cool. We're going to take one more quick commercial break. We'll be right back with the smoke break. We're actually going to take two more, but <laughs> we're here every Sunday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Shady Pines Radio as well as Pretty Dope Experience Radio. All right, we are going to switch over to our musical portion. So I'd like to introduce musician, peer support specialist, and activist Doug Westberg. Hey, this is from my new album called I Get the Blues, and it's called Breathalyzer Boogie. Let me get back behind the wheel, I'll quit tomorrow at 
it's no big deal. I just take my air abuse, drink my vegetable juice, pop a mega B10, add a couple of Vicodin, put an olive in my coke, take an occasional toke. I know how to get off the sauce, Jim B, make my boss. The judge said to me, Bub said he, you're like a drowning Egyptian. You're in denial. In a little while, you'll be looking at a conviction. Well, I paid my bail and I stayed out of jail, but there's just a few conditions. Gotta go to AA three meetings a day and serve up soup at the mission. And if that ain't enough, I got an ankle cuff. The cops get an alert if I'm not in church. Gotta blow and go. If I'm drunk, it knows. And if I've taken a jerk, I gotta walk to work. I just take my air abuse, drink my vegetable juice, pop a Mega B10, and a couple of Vicodin, put an umbrella in my coat, take an occasional toke. Said to the judge, judge said, I, I've got an airtight alibi. I don't need that legal nudge. I'm as sober as a judge. I said to the judge, judge said, I, please don't give me that DUI. Just let me get back behind the wheel. I'll quit tomorrow. It's no big deal. Or the day after tomorrow. Monday at the latest. But right now, I'm just going to go have a little snort. May it please the court. Wouldn't you? Don't worry, I never drunk while I'm driving. I wait till I'm pulled up at a stop sign. Thank you. This is called Sometimes I Imagine Asking Joni. There's an interplanetary satellite named Voyager It flew past Neptune 14 years ago Empty interstellar space lies 10 years after Pluto I feel like I've got an inch to go Sometimes I imagine asking Jody Why it is Amelia always makes me want to cry She was just an aviatrix lost in ancient history Falling like a teardrop from the sky 
I'm always snatching failure from the jaws of victory. I do it just to feel like I'm alive. There's a place I like to call the black hole of Calcutta. It lurks deep down just out of my control. It's where I go on down days when I feel like I'm imploding A dying supernova in my soul Sometimes I pretend I'm asking Donald and Walter Why would Dr. Wu of all things make me want to cry? He was just an herbalist who came here from Jakarta Stuck in the doldrums 
You're petrified, drowning in boredom, frozen inside, stuck in the doldrums. It's a downhill slide. You're not trying to live, you just waiting to die. There's water everywhere, but nothing to drink. You're too empty to cry, you're too tired to think. You're going nowhere, and you're going too slow. When you're not moving, there's nowhere to go. Stuck in the doldrums, you're petrified, drowning in boredom, frozen inside. Ben Doug Westberg. We will be right back after a quick commercial break. All right. And we are back with the smoke break. Uh, we are here every Sunday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Shady Pines Radio as well as Pretty Dope Experience Radio. I'm your host, your old pal Zane, here with Taylor Barrett. Greetings. And Doug Westberg. Hey. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate the the music that you that you brought. Um, I always appreciated. That's actually how I met you was through uh, Peer Apocalypse, um, and we uh, had met at an open mic over at uh, Heavy Metal Brewing. Company. That's right. So yeah, yeah, super talented, super talented. Uh, so the topic that you wanted to talk about us this week was uh, talk about with us this week is complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, heavy one. I know it's a heavy one. It's a heavy one. So uh, give us kind of like a, a an idea of what that that means for you. Uh. PTSD is um, generally thought of as originating from a, you know, a big accident or, you know, war shell shock, they used to call it. Complex PTSD uh, results from trauma that takes place over a much longer period of time. Sure. Like a childhood uh, characterized by abuse or neglect or um, parents, uh, um, you know, drinking um, things like this, also uh, being a prisoner of war, things like that. Right, right. Um, so, 
I got interested in it because I started seeing myself, uh, you know, wondering if that described me. Sure, sure. So you you had you had seen a little bit about it, you had heard a little bit of it, and then you're like, okay, but how does this reflect inside of me? Yeah. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so would you say that um like that journey of of kind of, of of looking back that far has been has been cathartic? It has. It has. Um I write you know, white papers about it. Um it's it explains a lot. Definitely. Um and in fact, um, you know, if I ever get a TED talk, it's going to be about um, me laboring under misapprehensions for 40 years, first 20 years, uh, recovering from alcoholism, you know, thinking it's a disease mm-hmm. um, and trying to treat it as a spiritual malady. Um, and then another 20 years working on my depression, which I didn't get to work on until then because there wasn't. Yeah, you were still working through the alcohol parts of it. Right, yeah. Yeah, depression was a sincere form of self-pity. So anyway, I finally got to work on my depression, but the same kind of deal. It was over-medicalized, over-pathologized. What I'm learning now is that depression, alcoholism, um, addiction, uh, anxiety, those are all symptoms of developmental trauma. Yeah. Do you, do you think there's any um, like glaring misconceptions about? Uh, uh, I mean, there's, there's obviously plenty, but did, are there any that come to mind that you think uh, should be talked about a little bit more about uh, uh, complex PTSD? Well, the point is that there's no such thing as mental illness, um, okay. and people have been saying that. I mean, writers uh, have have been saying that for fifty years, but we get overwhelmed by the you know, blandishments of the pharmaceutical industry, mm-hmm. and um, it's the the tail wagging the dog. Um, the, the fact is, you know, addiction and depression and and these other things are are symptoms of trauma. They're defense mechanisms. They're survival mechanisms um, that originally come about through surviving your childhood. You know, and then they they get triggered in adulthood by things that don't make any sense. Sure. Um, and that that's really hard to for other people to understand. I see what you're saying. So it, but the root of the the point is kind of that, like all these things that that have different avenues for you know popping up in your adulthood or even you know like childhood are basically rooting from a specific trauma that 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 you have or just the stuff that you had to deal with that come up in different ways that you that you 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 become, you become an adult and this doesn't make sense to you or this does you can't process this or you can't function normally because of specific traumas that you, that develop defense mechanisms within you exactly you develop the defense mechanisms and then and then they become maladaptations in um adulthood so yeah. you know i for example you know uh have spent most of my adult life having to ask permission for everything you know and being, you know, afraid of authority figures, and um, you know, I can and, relate to and that. being, <laughs> uh, you know, being susceptible to to explosions of temper. Sure. You know? 
and and the which list, is such a, a, a like a strange thing <laughs> hearing from such a soft-spoken person you're like an explosion yeah. of temperance like right. man when you yeah. lost it you probably lost it though because <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm very much like a i keep it yeah. under the surface until right. it becomes like this maladaptive but i i think i i can agree a lot with like what you what you're saying is that like you know a lot of these are just kind of reactions to things that like we may have felt out of control of in our past you know yes um, like, you know, maybe being yelled at is something that like, we felt like we didn't have control over. So now yelling back is the thing that makes us feel like we're in control. That's how, that's mm -hmm. how you take the power back. Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. That, yeah. That's definitely something that I've related to and had to work through where like when I, when I was uh, previously talking about how I, I would catch myself raising my voice a lot, I had to, you know, break it down and be like, why is this something that I do? And it, it, it kind of came from a point of like, if I have the most volume, then I have the most control. And that's, a, mm, that's, I think that was sure. very maladaptive. Like you said, the kind of defense mechanism where the, I saw a lot of people that were desperately seeking control. And if I, if I over talked or, or, or talked louder, then I, I felt like I, I had control and it was pushing a lot of people away and kind of preventing a lot of growth. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But I mean, I think that, you know, the fact that it comes from you being in a situation where somebody was louder than you, therefore they were right is the thing that like kind of, you know, traumatized you into thinking that like, oh, okay, so this reaction is, uh, you know, like an equivalent to, it's it's a way to equalize the situation. And, and one thing that I realized was that it, like my dad wasn't much of a yeller, my mom wasn't much of a yeller, but there was people, there was other people in my life that I saw that had complete control over situations. Like my, uh, one of my uncles, like I was just, I'd be in the room where he would like yell at, yell at his kids and I was like, they obey they they yeah, obey without yeah. I question. don't know what it is about uncles but they they know how to yell yeah and <laughs> that kind of taught me that it's like oh so that's how you do it that's that's how you that's how you do that and uh that's not how you do that no, no, <laughs> you, no. you, you, well, you don't it, want to scare kids into into yeah, obedience you don't want to scare anybody into like you know into doing what you want but it's when you feel like you when you're trying I feel like it just comes from like a lot of trying to communicate needs you know like we all have these needs we get denied these needs when we're younger and then we try to figure out how to fill those needs when we're older and because we never learned how to do it before, we find these fucking these crazy ways of and and, and like you said, sure. maladaptive ways sure. of, of handling things. Mm -hmm. um, so is there is there anything that you feel like uh, has been extremely like liberating to have worked through uh, from like some of the complex PTSD? Um, yeah, very much so. Um, it's it's been liberating to to find that um, it's not all genetic you know it, it, we don't understand what how things are handed down you know right. the, the way we understand genetics is not the way it really works okay um so i don't have the alcoholism gene you know i don't have a temper because genetically you know my father had a had a temper um you know it it helps me to know that uh, again these were defense mechanisms that were just evolutionary survival mechanisms in the face of overwhelming, um, you know, emotions. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's a natural thing. Yeah. Well, and I like for that these you say, symptoms to occur. I like that you say survival mechanism because it's like, that's literally what we're trying to do is like just survive. Exactly. Um, yeah, at a very base level, everyone's just, how do, how do I survive? And then from there, is there a way to go from survival to thriving? Yeah. That, yeah. That, but like, I threshold. feel like most people don't even get to thrive. Absolutely not. No, you, way. Know? <laughs> like, you, know, you spend so much time in this survival mode that you're just like, how do I get to, 
uh, a place where I where I'm doing just like where I'm doing better than just making it. Like that's that's such a crazy yeah. concept to me. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like what you know what what can I do to keep Dad from exploding? Definitely, definitely. You know? Yeah. How do I appease this person to make sure that I don't get right. this reaction? And so that leads to a lot of really extreme watchfulness mm. and reading people. Yeah, like hyper, you know? like right, hyper right. Uh, attentive. So you carry that into adulthood. Yeah, I've, definitely. I've, I've heard a good example of that being carried over in adulthood. It's like being able to know who's walking up the steps because you can tell their footsteps apart because right. you're so used to being, like, oh, that's that's dad coming in and he's angry. Oh, that that's that's mom coming upstairs to yeah. She's to got laundry. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that, <laughs> right. that like hypervigilance, that like daredevil level of, of, of awareness is, yeah. it, it can be interesting but it's also like damn why do i have to pay so much attention to that why do i give a shit yeah yeah well i mean I definitely, yeah well definitely like i feel like i've had that hyper vigilance of like having to read people because like my uncle was such a hot and cold person but like he would we would be cool one second we're laughing we're having fun and then a second he would just be like nope we're not having fun i'm angry now and like all fun that it was happening a second ago is now ceasing and so it's like i've had to uh, not necessarily had to, but I felt as though I've had to be um, hyper vigilant in most situations of like interacting with people. It's like, is are, are we good? Are we good? Are we still good? You know, without asking, <clears throat> excuse me, without asking constantly, are we okay? Are you mad at me? But like, still mm -hmm. trying to like suss out like hey is everything good we it's were like good the, a second ago the changes in like tone the changes, changes in, in like tone. in like oh, facial stuff expression like that, that stuff messes me up so facial bad. expression yeah. has been the biggest one for me mm -hmm. but a, a, a different uncle I, I called it like stone face where mm -hmm. he like we, he, we would goof off all the time but sometimes he'd come into the room with just this like locked in stone face and yeah. I'm like I'm in some shit this yeah, is bad yeah <laughs> yeah and I have well, like oh, go for, ahead. for me um I was counting martinis Mm. You know, he'd come from come home from work and he'd have a martini and you know, so far so good. And then he'd have sure. another one and you know. Yeah. He'd have another one and then things, you know, you really um you know, started to worry. Then he'd have a fourth one and all hell would break loose. Yeah. Like, you know? like, like a, a scale of risk where the yes. one one's one's a very right. low risk, two right. risk gets higher, three, yeah. shit's probably gonna go down, four, we're we're for sure in it now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's hard because like I feel like, you know, something like alcohol is something that helps you decompress, but like can also fucking be cause for de-escalation because it's like it's the thing that should be making you feel better. It's the thing that should be like relaxing you. But it like if there's too much of it, then it can be the opposite effect where it's like I feel myself like hyper you know, like amped up and like in somebody's face where it's like, that wouldn't be me normally. Like that's, you yeah. know, whatever I wanted to communicate and yeah, alcohol is, uh, that's, that's, a, weird that's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. Alcohol is a, is a very tricky one because it, it's so easy to just be like, oh, this kind of shuts everything off for a second. And mm -hmm. then you get so used to just turning to that for shutting everything off. And now when something does arise because all of your facilities are kind of shut off willingly now you you don't have the tools to navigate that or articulate it nearly mm -hmm. as, as as effectively and that you get very explosive yeah definitely definitely um so as far as like with working with like complex t ptsd what would you recommend for somebody who's trying their best to like work through that like what would be an avenue of support that they could find uh First of all, find a, a counselor who's aware of trauma, um, you know, trauma informed, informed treatment. Mm -hmm. You know, find find somebody who asks about your background. Yeah, you know, wants to know about the the trauma in your background, 
and and go from there. Yeah. So and, finding finding a therapist that like is very specifically like wants to be aware of that part of it. Yes. Uh-huh. Because yeah, yeah. it's the, because so many things lead back to like what happened before that like if you don't yeah. don't have somebody who's counting that part of it, it's then it's then it's just it's almost absurd. Sure, sure. And I, I think there's kind of almost a joke within the therapy. It's, it's like world. it gets like. Sorry to interrupt. Oh no, yeah. It gets like, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything it looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So if all you have is medication, you know, then everything looks it seems like, like it a could be solved. Diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the, the 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 joke within the like therapy community is that it all comes back to childhood. But I think that's kind of a consistent joke because it ends up being pretty consistently true is that your yeah. childhood is where you learned all these defense mechanisms, you know. So, yeah, there is kind of the laughable concept of like if you go to a therapist, they're going to start talking about your childhood. But like maybe you should. Maybe you should talk about yeah. your childhood a little bit more. Well, talk, talk about your dad. Yeah, It's because your your brain is is forming exactly. you know, all through you know up to seven years of age and on and on you know your brain is building you know with thousands and thousands of circuits every day yeah. and if you're constantly under stress then that gets carved in to the deeper recesses of your brain yeah definitely Definitely. And then it's really easy to overlook that too, especially when you're able to like disconnect from your family sometimes. And you're like, well, now I'm separated from that. So those issues are no longer prevalent in my life. But that's really important that you mentioned that if you are developing those neuron connections when you are, when your brain's developing and, uh, and, and, you're, and you're around them. Yeah. And, and you're developing that under the stress, then it's, th- those are going to be developed with the stress defense mechanisms in them. And they, you, you, there's a lot of unlearning to have to do and, and, uh, and a lot of self acceptance. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, treatment that involves uh, a whole body movement, um, you know, comforting activities, um, connecting with people. Yeah. Um, theater is is one great. Yeah, I'm one. sure music and stuff like um, that has yeah. works wonders. Yeah, those are those are real important. All right, awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, much they- more so than than talk therapy is. Is yeah, well, I, I feel like yeah. just even having like an, an outlet for it, you know, like trying to find, figure out a way to put those things into words. Like I, I heard so, so many of your lyrics just, you know, like I, I appreciate your music for that reason is because it does talk about like a real experience, but it does it in a way that's like, that's cathartic for you. So yeah. Doug, thank Thanks. you so much for joining us. Absolutely. I really enjoyed thank having you. you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. All right. Well, that has been The Smoke Break. We're here every Sunday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Shady Pines Radio, as well as Pretty Dope Experience Radio. I've been your host, your old pal Zane, here with Taylor Barrett. Peace out. And Doug Westberg. Later. Cool. Thank you. Absolutely. Oh, my God. That is